Before I get to my next guest, John Wonder, I want to give a shout out to a few of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Finn Cycles. It's time to rethink golf. The game is at a tipping point. The young people we need in the game don't have four and a half hours to spend out on the course. Pairing Finn Cycles with a desire to play ready golf can cut playing time in half because all golfers go directly to their own golf ball. Plus, it's tons of fun. Go online to finscooters.com and click on Find a Fin for a course that has them near you. I also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Golf Pride. Did you know that Golf Pride lets you rep your favorite team while also using the number one grip in golf? Your team, your grip, MCC Hybrid Grips, the number one grip series worldwide. Features an exclusive brush cotton cord in the upper hand for all-weather performance with premium rubber in the lower hand for added feel. The new MCC Team Series is available in a variety of new color combinations so you can rep your favorite team out on the course. Available in standard and midsize. Check it out online by going to golfpride.com. And folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends over at the PGA Tour Superstore. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. All right, now next on the tee with me is John Wonder. John is the tour content creator for Callaway Golf. You've probably seen some articles from him on GolfWRX.com, where he was the director of original content, Instagram manager, and host of Gear Dive Podcast. He's from Seattle, Washington, grew up playing at Rainier Golf and Country Club. John has also partnered with the Traveling Picture Show Company. He's produced a film titled Josie with Game of Thrones star Sophie Turner. Back in 1997, John was the clubhouse attendant for the Anaheim Angels, and I'm excited to have him with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, John, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, that's a that was a hell of an intro. I don't even... Uh... I think you read, kind of read my whole life story on there, and I really appreciate it. <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> nice to be on your show. <laughs> I appreciate your time, John. So let's go back to the beginning for you, my friend. As I was doing some of the research, I, I heard that you loved baseball growing up. What got you to um, transition from baseball over to golf? Oh, God, that's a good uh, – well, I was uh, – I played from Seattle, so – played baseball for my old man from the time I was probably eight till the time I was, I don't know, 14 or 15 years old. And you, know, you play for your old man long enough. Uh, you know, you kind of get tired of baseball. The whole thing, you know, your whole relationship revolves around baseball. So I decided that I wanted to go work at the, uh, work at the golf club and smoke cigarettes and pick up range balls with my buddies and see what this whole golf thing was about. And then went and worked at a golf course. And that was kind of end of story for me. Once I got in, I, you know, you know, golf golf can kind of consume you, and it's you know basically consumed me for the last call it, twenty nine thirty years. And John, Rainier Golf and Country Club. Rainier Golf and Country Club is uh, a little over a hundred years old, so a very historic place. Talk about that golf course. It's uh, in my I'm biased because I grew up there, but it. In my opinion, it's got to be the toughest 6,300 yards of golf on the West Coast. And I don't say that lightly. Um, it's, uh, you'd have to play it. It's tight with really, really tough greens. And, uh, I've seen really good players shoot 80 there. And I've, you know, I haven't never really, I've never really ever seen anybody take it, take it apart. Um, 
just one of those golf courses that uh, you have to manage yourself really, really well. Like Freddie Couples, for example, grew up in Seattle and played Rainier a ton of times. And every single time I've ever mentioned Rainier to him, he kind of just laughs and shakes his head like, you know, he understands how diabolical that golf course can be. So it's a great place to great place to grow up um, to learn how to play. Like what a great golf course to learn how to play uh, the game at. John, I want to take you back to the 1990s and a story I heard about you. Um, you're mm-hmm. at a Safeway grocery store at the magazine stand. You pick up a copy of Golf Digest with <laughs> Bill Mickelson on the cover. And that issue yeah. got you so excited about the equipment side of the game. Do you mind sharing that story with us? Well, you've done your research. Uh, okay, yeah. So I was, uh, I guess it was 19... 19- 1993 or 94, I can, I can still see the, uh, the Golf Digest, the magazine, you know, in my, in my mind, the cover of the magazine. It was Phil Mickelson. He was hitting a bunker shot. And, you know, it was back when he was, uh, a, uh, back when he was signed by Fairway Blues, which he was wearing all those kind of like tie-dye kind of golf shirts. And, you know, the whole thing looked cool. And that was the first time I'd ever really looked at a golf magazine. And I remember flipping through it and seeing all these advertisements from, you know, Cleveland, when they had the VAS irons and ping, they used to put their color-coded fitting system in the, in the advertisement. And, you know, things were just a little bit different. There was so much, you know, information to consume uh, just around the gear. And um, that in combination with, I want to say, a month or two later, uh, my dad took me to the Ernst Championship, which was a tournament that Fred Couples put on in Seattle. And the first year that they played it was at Overlake. And I think this was in 95, I want to say. Maybe it was 94 or 95, I forget what year it was. But I went there with my dad, and I was about a year a year into playing golf. So I was already, you know, really into it. And I remember standing behind the driving range and seeing Davis Love <clears throat> pull his bag up, and Mickelson's bag, Yannick's bag, was right next to his. And the first thing that caught my eye was seeing Davis Love, who was a Tommy Armour staff, uh, player back in the day and you know he didn't have any Tommy Armour clubs in his bag he had a set of Mizuno blades that were you know had a ton of lead tape to cover them up and he had actually stenciled in Tommy Armour to kind of cover the Mizuno so it looked like he was playing Tommy Armour clubs but they were Mizunos and I remember just being consumed by looking at you know looking at the lead tape and then looking at Phil's bag he had this you know Ping I2 lob wedge and these cool graphite shafted Yonic irons and you know, the whole thing was just cool. It's like, you know, you're looking at the, the tools of the trade. And um, at that point, when I realized that they, they didn't play just any clubs, that they played a kind of curated custom and that their golf clubs represented a part of who that player was, at that point I was hooked because the, what their golf course, what, what their golf bags looked like represented a little bit of what their game was like. And at that point, uh, I've been, I would say that's the moment I became a gearhead. So there you go. It's a long-winded story, but that's how it went down. So to your point now, John, I mean, with so you, with so many gear combinations, right? Even within you working with Callaway, there are tons of different shafts. There are tons of heads, all of that sort of thing. And then when you start when you start to get to a place where you know whether you're, you're you know one of the PGA, like PGA Tour Superstore, which is a wonderful place and a wonderful sponsor of the show. You go in there and boy, sure. the hit and the the combinations you can put together. You must be like, and is that your heaven? You're like, well, let me try this. Let me throw that in there. Let me pull this other thing out. Right? That's that's just got to be so overwhelming for where we were back in the nineties. 
to all the different options we have now, it's just exploded. Yeah, it it has, but you know, I've I've been doing this for myself. You know, I've only been doing this for the golf industry, say, for like the last three and a half years. But I've been doing this for myself for, we'll call it the better part of 25 years. So when you become sort of ingrained in an ecosystem of something that you're obsessed with, you just sort of, you, you don't get overwhelmed anymore. Because you, you, you sort of understand the rhythms of, of what each shaft company does, what each club company does. You know, I, I can go back and tell you, you know, you know, hell, if you go back all the way probably to like 2000 or the late 90s, I could probably tell you what was in the winner's bag of pretty much any, any major winner for sure. And pretty much any player for the last 20 or 25 years, because that's, I was consumed with it. So I don't get overwhelmed by how much is out there now. Um, I more or less get overwhelmed by making sure that the people that want to know and get interested, don't get overwhelmed. So my function for Callaway or for Golf WRX is to take the overwhelming nature of what golf can be and make it easy for people to understand. Um, so that when they're going to buy a golf club, they're not looking at the wall going like, what the hell am I doing here? They they have an idea of like, oh, okay, these colors and these, these numbers and everything they have, it's a language, the golf language. And, and you know, Johnny kind of helped me understand what all this information means. And I don't feel like an idiot when I walk into the PGA Tour Superstore. I can just get excited about the golf clubs I want to buy. Um, and I'll understand why I'm buying them and why they're right for me. That's, that I get excited about that stuff now. I just turn, so people, turn end, other people into gearheads. Yeah, so to that end, right? Because I would be one of those guys that would come to you and say, you know, in the midst of the PGA Tour Superstore, looking at all of the different head and shaft combinations, the grips and all of that sort of thing, and not knowing mm-hmm. what the different flexes and kick points and all of that sort of thing is all about, and just be overwhelmed with, like, look, what I want is I want the ball to go straight. I sure. Help me understand, like, what does all of this mean to me? How do I understand if I've walked out with the right thing or I've just been handed something that I hope works? Yeah, I mean, and you'll get there's different schools of thought here, but, you know, I'm always a big advocate for finding a home base. And, you know, whether it's your local fitter at the PGA Tour Superstore or one of these high class fitters like the Tour Experience Golf or True Spec or one of these guys, you have to find. It's like finding a good car salesman that you trust. And I don't mean to put that in like the shady context. I mean, just finding like a good, say, grocery store or a butcher that you like, that you just like what they do. And you just kind of you know that that's where you're going to stay. And that's kind of how it works with fitters. Is you find one and you don't get your head on a swivel. You go in there and try to figure out what's right for you. And once you get, uh, once you create a relationship with that fitter, then that's it. You don't need to know anymore because the most important thing for any golfer, especially the ones that are, you know, maybe higher handicaps is finding center contact. You know, sometimes it's not even hitting it straight. I'd rather somebody hit it out of the middle of the face and their dispersion be a little wider than somebody that hits it like crap and just hits it down the middle. Um, because there's, we want to enjoy ourselves too. So center face contact is important and most good fitters can get no matter who they are, they can figure out a club that's going to find the middle of the face for you. No matter how, you know, regardless of how you swing, they'll figure out a way to get the center of the club face on the ball. Um, and it's that feeling, right? That feeling of pure impact that really gets people back the next day. When you really hit one on the nuts, 
that's what brings people back. And after that, it's, you know, being able to make a par gets people excited. Um, so those are, you know, those are, I feel like those are the two main entry points into the game of golf. And, uh, if you, if you can find somebody that can translate that to you and not make it overwhelming, just the same thing as like a PGA uh, teaching professional, the same thing. There's a lot to learn with golf, but the, the objective is to keep it simple and find these two nice entry points for any beginning golfer, um, so that they can enjoy themselves and they want it. They're excited to come back the next day. So that's my, no, I'll jump off my soapbox. <laughs> I appreciate you being on it. Yeah, John, yeah. so certainly a lot of the talk about around the game for the last several years has been about how far the ball goes now and all of that sort of thing. You look back to the 90s, heads are different, balls are different, flies further, and all of that sort of thing. I mean, goodness knows we just saw Phil Mickelson at 51 hitting drives over 360 yards right at the PGA Championship. I can't imagine that the big manufacturers like Callaway and Taylor made titles and all that sort of thing are going to dial anything back. What do you think is the future of the game? Well, dialing anything back makes no sense. And, you know, when I was at WRX, I had a few conversations with some of the people from the club manufacturers that had just gotten the USGA report and, kind of asked what I thought because I was in the equipment industry like you know what do you think about this I I don't understand why they would what I don't understand the timing of it all so if you read the report and you sort of listen to the powers that be the biggest concern that they have over the distance debate is uh, I, I think I read something about uh, conservation of land they're having to make the golf courses too big and uh, they're too expensive to maintain because everybody hits it so far, blah, 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 blah. That was like one of the main, one of the main things. The second, the second worry that they had was that it was going to make the traditional courses, the ones that we loved and cherish irrelevant as time went on. Like, you know, for example, like the Pine Valleys of the world, just to use an arbitrary example, would all of a sudden just be too short for anybody to play. So, then you get somebody like Bryson DeChambeau, who comes on the scene. It's one man, mind you, one man, comes on, puts on 40 pounds of pump and starts hitting at 390 and starts to play the game in a different way. Now, he's the one that sparked this debate and got people thinking about distance again. And granted, there's a lot of guys that have over 180 ball speed, but none of them are dominating the game. So if... Bryson DeChambeau came out and put on 40 pounds and was hitting at 400 yards and did what Tiger did for 10 years. And then there was three or four right behind him that did the same thing. And I go, okay, great. Maybe, maybe these guys are hitting it too far, but they're not. They're one in one time, you know, once a year, twice a year. They're not ripping golf courses in half. It's not like Bryson DeChambeau went to Wingfoot and picked it apart with his driver. He happened to put his, you know, put out of his mind that week and won at six under, but by no means did he take that golf course apart because he was hitting it so far. Like he didn't win a wing foot because he was the longest guy there. He won because he, he putted it 50 times better than everybody else did. So the whole, the whole argument of why, of the why we're spending this money to research if the ball's going too far to me is it's, it's a little ridiculous and it's a big waste of money. Because if your if your main argument to why is because the golf course architects are complaining because they have to make the golf courses too big, well, who told you who told you to make the golf course too big? Like 
Who told you that the golf courses had to be 7,600 yards? Why can't you make a really fun golf course at 67 and use your brain and make it a little bit more nuanced with some rough and smaller greens, faster greens? Why do they have to be so long? And I use Olympic Club and a lot of the shorter golf courses on tour as the example um, because those guys aren't ripping those golf courses apart. Olympic Club, they played it in 2012, and I mean, I think one under one, and they, they, the guys, I mean, that golf course almost killed the whole field. That golf course is like 6,800 yards. So the whole argument, long story longer, the whole argument about making, dialing the ball back or having the manufacturers make quote-unquote tour equipment versus like the stuff that they sell, in the, like kind of limit limiting tour equipment, it's a ridiculous argument. It's a total waste of time and a waste of resources. And I'm, I'm, I, I hope the whole, I hope the whole thing goes away. In my opinion, I think it's, I think it's completely ridiculous. John, just a couple more before, before I let you go. Um, I want to, I want to, let's get a little bit away from golf. Like I mentioned in your intro, you're also uh, a producer and into filmmaking. Talk about the, the film that you've recently been a part of. Well, I'm a partner uh, in a company called the Traveling Picture Show Company, and the first movie that I produced, uh, I was I was in the film business before the golf business, and the first movie I produced is the, like you said, it's a movie called Josie, with Sophie Turner and Dylan McDermott. It's a small independent film. Um, the victory in that one was just actually getting it made. It's really hard to get a movie made, um, but the company as a whole, collectively, amongst me and my partners, I think we've made nine movies. Um, and I was, uh, I don't, I'm not involved as much as I used to be, but I was a head of development. So, uh, I was the person that developed the scripts of the writer, helped package the film up and kind of got it ready for financing. I was never, I'm not really an on set producer. I didn't like being on set. So, uh, I liked working with the writers and the directors to make sure that the whole package was fully cooked. And then once it was cooked, I handed it off to the, uh, to the producers and went on to the next project. Um, so, but I'm, Golf has sort of taken over my career over the last uh, couple of years. And John, for our listeners that want to stay up to date with what you're doing, are intrigued by everything that we've talked about with respect to the things that you're interested in, first of all. Second of all, you know, those that want to educate themselves more, it sounds like that's what you really enjoy doing is educating uh, the average golfer like myself about the equipment and what it can do for us. How can they stay up to date with all the great things that you're doing, whether it's online or it's on social media? Well, if you go to at callawaygolf.com slash W-O-W, that's, that's my website. Uh, like at callawaygolf.com slash wow. It's called the world of wonder. It's a website kind of off, offsite website at the callawaygolf.com platform. Uh, at uh, Johnny underscore wonder on uh, Instagram. Uh, you can go to the Callaway Golf YouTube page. I've got a lot of stuff on there. But anything related to Callaway, you can kind of find me on their Twitter handles, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. I'm always lurking in, in their ecosystem somewhere, so I'm pretty easy to find. John, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come and be a part of the show. I feel like we've just barely scratched the surface with you. I hope you'll come <laughs> back and join me again sometime. I, I will. I'm sorry I gave you about three really long-winded answers, but you just caught me at the right time, at uh, the right time of day. So I, I a little, a little. Uh, I hope you. I hope it was good. <laughs> it was good, and I thank you for doing that. So I hope we get yeah. uh, a, a repeat of that before too long. Well, I, I like your show, so thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Take care, John. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. Thank you. Bye.
That is John Wonder, and the last name is spelled W-U-N-D-E-R. And like he said, you can find him in and around everything that has to do with Callaway. Callawaygolf.com forward slash W-O-W is a good way to find him. There is a lot out on YouTube with John. So uh, I feel like we've got a lot of equipment discussion to get into. So we'll get uh, John back on the show again soon. 